Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Welcome to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast with Lisa Fine and Mary Shirley. Our podcast sits proudly with other compliance-related podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We're also very pleased to be sponsored by Corporate Compliance Insights. Check out their website for the latest compliance news and bright ideas. I'm Mary Shirley, and today I'm excited to be speaking on part one of a two-part series with Andrea Falcioni from Rethink Compliance. Why am I so excited, you may be asking, dear listener? Well, best practices and codes of conduct and policy drafting are near and dear to my heart. I am such a nerd about this topic that at any given time, I have a list of favorite compliance codes. If your company has an awesome code that needs to be admired, please send it to me. Andrea and I will kick off the series with today's episode, which focuses on codes of conduct. And then we invite you to join us again next time for the second episode, which is going to focus on policies. Welcome, Andrea. Thanks so much for being here and offering your considerable subject matter expertise. Why don't you start by telling us about yourself? Sure, absolutely, Mary, and thank you for having me. Really appreciate the opportunity. Um, and by the way, I'm a nerd too, so that that, that works out well. <laughs> there are very few, very few people who are excited to talk about this stuff. Um, so, actually, funny story. I was on a phone with a client just just this morning, and she and we were just prattling on, and she said, "It's so nice to be talking to somebody who has like this similar, you know, excitement about these topics because my company maybe not not so much, you know." So anyway, yeah. um, so I'm Andrea Falcioni. I am the principal and head of advisory services mm-hmm. at Rethink Compliance. Um, I am a lawyer by trade, so I practiced law for mm-hmm. about 10 years doing mergers and acquisitions and securities work. And then in 2004, um, had the lucky opportunity and frankly just fell into the compliance and ethics space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the best just a, the best change in career yes. that I've ever... Yeah, I mean, I really <laughs> did not love the practice of law and I love what I do now. Um, yeah. So for, for me, I've been consulting with companies ever since that. And for me, I love compliance because it's so collaborative. Collaborative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can put two companies in the same industry in the same room and they will discuss compliance because all boats rise with the tide. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're a practicing lawyer, you're fighting with somebody every single day, regardless of what mm-hmm. kind of law you practice and that mm-hmm. gets exhausting. So anyway, it's super nice to be here um, and I'm excited to talk about Coates. Wonderful. Thank you. All right. So I guess it makes sense to start right at the beginning of the process uh, most companies by now have a code of conduct, and so they're likely to be revamping rather than drafting one from scratch. And I recently saw a post by Ricardo Pelafone on LinkedIn about um, he was querying where where did it come from, the idea that you need to refresh your code of conduct every so often. And I think um, he was uh, especially emphasizing the fact that given that your core values and um, the standards that you hold dear are unlikely to change um, over the course of time. Where did it come from that we're supposed to, um, you know, wash, rinse, repeat every so often? And the general consensus, including my own opinion, is that, um, you know, say annually is going to be much too much, particularly because the foundational values and elements of your compliance program are likely to be fairly static, as Ricardo pointed out. However, I do believe that it's necessary to refresh it from time to time 
um, perhaps because of a legislative change or societal focus and values needing to be further enhanced and committed to. For example, at the moment, some companies might be revisiting their diversity and inclusion content mm -hmm. and building that out further in light of recent topical events pertaining to the Black Lives Matter movement. So, Andrea, could you give us some more indicators as to when the time is right for a code to be reviewed and refreshed and how often should this be happening? Sure, yeah. So I, what I, I'll start with, I don't think there's a hard and fast rule. And I don't think there should be a mm -hmm. hard and fast rule because I think at the end of the day, all organizations are different. Each industry is different. Every risk pro profile is different. Um, what I will say is that you'd be I probably surprised. There are a fair number of companies out there that are still operating off of like a Word document that was mm -hmm. drafted by a lawyer. Yep. Um, and so <laughs> those companies, I think it's very clear, nobody's reading those documents, right? Nobody mm -hmm. is referring mm -hmm. to those codes of conduct. And so, so moving to a more, um, you know, user-friendly designed version that kind of looks like a marketing document with lots of images that remind you of your company, I think actually is really important in, in terms of driving user engagement. Yes. So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll start with, I'll start by saying that. The other thing mm -hmm. is that certainly, as you mentioned, Mary, like to the extent that there are legislative changes, um, certainly we need to all be looking at our codes to make sure that we're keeping up with the times, right? So I'll, you know, never forget back in, I'm going to say it was 08. I don't know if that's exactly right, but like, you know, mm -hmm. suddenly, oh, we should probably be addressing social media risks, mm -hmm. right? Um, those right. kinds of things. And then obviously, you know, as as like CCPA comes in, you just got to make sure mm -hmm. the privacy and data protection uh, provisions right. are up to speed and all that stuff. So, so, uh, so I think that those are two big things. And then the other thing is that I think a lot of organizations now, particularly in light of the most recent DOJ guidance, um, are starting to think about how whether or and how to take their codes more digital. Um, so taking it from the Word document to the fancy mm -hmm. PDF, you know, the designed PDF mm -hmm. to now something that people can interact with online, which then gives them the ability to track data, data analytics and usage and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we're talking about, let's say, for example, you want to know which areas of the code are being referenced the most and then yep. that will help you identify what, um, topics you could do more training on or provide supplementary learning aids like frequently asked question documents um, by studying the number of clicks that'll give you that information. Exactly, exactly. And and again, DOJ seems to be, you know, um, focusing very heavily on data analytics and use of data in programs um, mm -hmm. to, you know, to measure effectiveness. And, and you know, un the unfortunate thing that I will say, though, is that, you know, it's a little bit of like, be careful what you measure, because right. you very well may find that over the course of a year, two people in your organization are, you know, accessing your code of conduct. And that's a problem, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, trying to um, address the issues that, that may be illuminated, you know, based on, on on being able to track data and, and, and the like, so so I think that's a, that's a that's the sort of next big push, and we certainly are seeing more and more clients um, moving in a digital direction. But you know, I, I agree, like there doesn't have to be a hard and shouldn't be a hard and fast rule. And look, at the end of the day, everything everything in business generally, certainly everything compliance related, is a, you have to do a cost benefit analysis. And like mm. you know, is it worth it to be upgrading your code of conduct? Um, you know, and so and 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 if so, why? And and frankly, making a business case for it. And I think there are there are steps along the way where you can make that business case for sure as technology changes and, and frankly, people's, you know, um, uh, attention attention spans change, right? Um, codes mm -hmm. of conduct used to be, you know, 50 pages long um, mm. and now they're they're generally much shorter. So there, I think there are like triggers that, that most organizations would, would, would want to think about um, updating. 
Mm. That, uh, you raise an interesting question about how, you know, if only a few people are looking at the, the code of conduct, that, that could indicate a problem. Uh, for me, I would have thought that um, typically people will be referring back to the code of conduct a little less frequently than your rules and standards that are addressed in policy documents. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that is that, you know, on any given day, I'm not going to be like, ooh, should I sex traffic someone else today? I'd better, yeah, I'd better look at the code of conduct and see what it says about that, right? Like, So the, the basic principles, I think most people will know. And then it's things like, ooh, what, what, what amount of gift can I mm-hmm. spend? Um, I better check the gifts, meals and entertainment policy and, and, and look at that. So do you, do you have any thoughts on what would be expected in terms of how often really people should be going back to review the code of conduct in terms of frequency at a point where it would cause concern? So it's a good question. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll preface my answer by saying, mm-hmm. I think we're going to start to learn a lot more, right? Most mm. organizations are not yet tracking this kind of stuff, or mm. if they are, they're, it's, it, they're in the very early stages. So I think we, as, um, as an industry of, you know, organizations supporting compliance com- programs and supporting clients um, are going to learn a lot. And I think our clients are going to learn a lot. Um, mm. But what I would say is that I definitely think you would expect or, or should expect people mm. to be accessing the code certainly like around the time of a code of conduct training for example yeah. right mm-hmm. yep, i mean how one. many people yeah <laughs> how many people are just saying yes i've read the code of conduct right, right. um and, yeah, and, and yeah. just checking that box um yeah. so that's one thing you certainly would want to to, yeah, know, to see yeah mm-hmm. um and then the other thing is that um as more and more organizations go digital the code of conduct can become kind of like your policy portal if you will yeah um where okay i don't you know and let's be honest, you know, whether companies are using a SharePoint site or some fancy policy management tool um, to house their policies, a lot of times employees don't know where that is. It's not top of mm. mind, right? So mm-hmm. if if you can think of code as like, oh, my one-stop shop, and mm. you can get down into the deeper areas mm-hmm. um, and start to, to use it that way, then I think obviously you you would, would expect and, and hope to see, you know, higher usage in that, that regard. Yeah, absolutely. If you were to have like an app on your phone, which is your code of conduct, and then embedded within each of the the hot topic areas, there is a link that takes you to the specific policy on that. I think that'd be rad. Exactly. Um, are you seeing that much at the moment or is still pretty um, pretty early steps for, for most companies? So I think early steps for most companies, yeah. but again, more and more companies moving in that direction for sure. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, I shouldn't quite say that because it, even a lot of um, what I'll call, and I don't mean to sound pejorative, but like what I'll call kind of static, you know, um, designed mm-hmm. PDFs, they mm-hmm. often even include, you know, um, yeah, li- links true. to policies that you can get to, right? It's just that people don't have those things on their phone typically. Whereas when you right. move to a digital version, then you're going to be, be more likely that people are going to be able to access it from any any device and in, in any yeah. place, almost literally at this point in, yes. in the world, right? Um, so, so, so I think more and more organizations are moving in that direction for sure. Um, right. And you know, and again, at the, at the end of the day, a lot of times employees don't know where to turn. Um, yeah. And so, if you if you have that one that one place to go to, I think it can be really helpful. Awesome. Okay, so um, another step for early on, once you've decided that the time is right for a review, uh, how should you get started with the project and what are the key considerations? 
Yeah. So what I would say is, you know, again, I recommend to clients like, you know, do eyeball it annually anyway, again, just to make sure there's nothing that's changed from like a legislative perspective or a risk profile perspective or, or whatever. Mm. Um, but but when you decide that you're going to undergo, uh, undertake a big project, right, to do a big revamp, um, I think, a, a, I think a, a great starting point really is to think hard about who your stakeholders are um, and how many subjects matter experts are you going to bring to the table? Um, and, and I would also say, and this is doable in some organizations and a lot less doable in others, but like try to limit that universe as much as possible because the old adage is totally true. Like if there's mm. too many cooks in the kitchen, mm-hmm. um, then you know, then you, you never end up accomplishing anything or it takes a really, really mm-hmm. long time. Um, so I, so I would say, think about what your stakeholder group is going to look like. Um, a lot of times what we find as well is that like, if you you know, you, you sort of bring people to the table and you let them feel like, oh, we consulted with you. A lot of times they'll drop off because they'll have other things to do or they feel, mm-hmm. but they'll think to themselves, <laughs> this doesn't need to be a priority for me. So right. sometimes they, that can be from a political perspective can actually be be um, pretty helpful. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's the biggest thing is like sort of managing your stakeholder group and managing your stakeholder expectations, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would also say that um, if you, if as an organization has, is deciding to go digital and we've, and frankly, we've learned this lesson also at Rethink, um, Mm -hmm. uh, that, that engage IT early and (laughs) often. Right, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. early and often, and and I mean, mm-hmm. like you know, there's lots of different ways you can go digital. Sometimes, to, frankly, there's options out there where it's, you don't really need to rely on IT that much, which is in a lot of organizations really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing, and then the other thing is um, branding. Mm-hmm. So. Um, get both IT and brand, bring brand to the table immediately. And again, mm-hmm. early and often, um, because mm-hmm. we have certainly found our, ourselves in situations where, whoo, we, we end up having to take a hard left when we were not <laughs> expecting to. Uh, and, you know, and rather than maybe not to fully derail a project, it certainly mm-hmm. slows things down, you know? Um, so those yeah. are, those are a couple of the, the sort of um, tips that I would give as you're, as you're thinking about um, uh, moving forward with a project like that. Yeah, and some of our longer listeners um, will be familiar with the fact that I learned a lesson the hard way in not bringing um, comms and marketing into a project mm. early enough. Um, and so that's it's pretty key that that branding perspective. So um, you've you've touched on this next question a little bit already, uh, but let's let's build out on it some more. So older generation codes tended to be written by lawyers for lawyers. There was a lot of heavy text on a page with no design element to make the content easier on the eye to absorb. And then a shout out to Ricardo again, in time's new Roman font. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, honestly, I, there's a, there's a, Big, um, a big company uh, in pharmaceuticals that um, I saw their code recently, and it just it looked exactly like this. And you sort of think, wow, you know, uh, big company, highly regulated industry. Um, it's, it's surprising that they they haven't sort of moved with the times. Um, so, what has been the evolution of, of codes that you've observed, Andrea? 
So uh, as you said, I, I talked a little bit about, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of going digital and yeah. the DOJ, you know, emphasis on, on data analytics, but I will, I, I will say when it comes to like the content, so the words mm-hmm. on the page, right. To, to Ricardo's point, um, I think that evolution is really about understanding how your audience consumes information now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that frankly, all of us have very short attention spans. I mean, I am a technological nitwit and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and yeah, and, and but yet I get a lot of my news on Apple News, on my mm-hmm. iPhone. Right. So like if even somebody like like myself and potentially you, Mary, as well, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> my the way I consume information has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this, there's this um, uh, the concept slash phenomenon called screen and glean where because mm-hmm. we're getting so much information on these little computers in our pocket that mm-hmm. like if there's a lot of words on a page, like nobody's mm-hmm. reading them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really about learning how to communicate with, and this is true for any compliance content, frankly, but certainly in codes, communicate the, the, what you need to get across. You don't need to do a dissertation on what the FCPA requires. You right. Don't. Um, mm-hmm. and in fact, I don't think regulators um, expect you to be doing that. And mm-hmm. because, because that's not going to be effective because again, people are not, are, they're going to, they're just going to absolutely, um, uh, check out frankly. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big, a big, big evolution that I've seen. And then also practical guidance, right? So just, you know, again, the FCPA, like, okay, so the FCPA says that I can't bribe, but like, what does that mean for me as -hmm. an employee of this organization in the role that I play? So Mm -hmm. giving practical examples and like, this is what this means for you, not this is what the law says. Um, Mm -hmm. So those are the, I think the biggest changes that I've seen, again, from a content perspective, we, and we we talked a little bit about the, about the other stuff before. Can I go back for one second, by the way? Um, so just back to your prior question, um, one of the other things that I that I, I I had in my mind and then it went out of my mind and now it came back um, is getting user feedback, and this actually mm. um, factors into this point too. Um, you know, most organizations, I think, do not get user feedback. And it's really, really powerful to get that feedback, both like, hey, what do you think of this current, you know, code of conduct that we have? What's good? What's bad? Do you use it? If not, why not? Um, and then also feedback on like, as you're going, um, mm. uh, you know, taking a project um, down the road, you know, mm. doing a prototype and, and then mm. asking those same people, like, does this work better for you? Would you find this more useful? Um, how do you get your information? Right? Would an mm. app work for you? Would you? Do you think you'd use it? Like, so really seeking the feedback of the yeah. people that you're trying to influence. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And one of the things that um, I'd like to implement shortly, and it, um, be interesting to see if I get any takers, is putting um, a request out to the business and asking essentially who would who wants to be on my um, sort of like a consumer insights panel, except Mm. of course it's like an internal stakeholder panel. So the people who put their hand up, um, and ideally there would be more than zero, um, would be interested, right, in in speaking about the the compliance program and giving some really thoughtful advice on it. So I'm I'm thinking that these little sort of consumer research panels um, would be a good way in which to seek that kind of feedback and, of course, feedback on all aspects of the compliance program. But as you point out, the code of conduct, I think, is something that we get really excited about because uh, we um, we own it or HR owns it in partnership with us, um, but we just feel a very strong um, sense of, of possession over it and then put blinkers on um, about making it awesome uh, and usable and then forget that, in fact, it is for literally the entire company. So why not uh, speak to 
representatives from different areas to help you um, design it so that it's appealing to your audience, not just what you think will be appealing to your audience. Absolutely. I, and by the way, I love that idea, uh, Mary. I think that's a, oh, for, a, across a compliance program generally, not just code. I think that's a great idea. Um, and I will, I'll share a, a little bit of... Um, inside baseball here for me. So as the, yeah. you know, I'm on the business side, obviously yes. in my various organizations, I've also been a chief ethics officer, but, um, and um, it, it's nothing is more frustrating, frankly, when like the compliance department, like, you know, um, foists these requirements on you processes, yes. procedures, and, and you think to yourself as the business person, do you have any idea how we even run this company? Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea yeah. like how we actually do business? Like that's so mm-hmm. frustrating as a, I know. Yeah. Person in the business. So, what you just described is a great way to try to hit at that, too, right? And then, to the extent that you give people ownership and they feel like, oh, I was mm. a part of this, then they mm-hmm. become ambassadors for you, right? Totally. Yeah. Um, so, I think it's a great idea. I love it. Thank you. And the, the reason why I thought it would be um, preferable over other techniques that I, I love but don't want to sort of saturate the market with. Um, so I, I like doing culture of integrity surveys. However, you can't do those every five seconds right. um, and into the entire company. So the idea of these focus groups would be to have people who are essentially volunteering and, you know, are sick of uh, us unilaterally uh, sending stuff their way without proper consultation. So they've got a, a vested interest um, and, uh, and hopefully collecting diverse views from, from various areas. I'll let you know how it goes. It please do. <laughs> and then I'm going to steal it and I'm going to suggest it to all my clients. <laughs> um, can I have some royalties? Yeah, in that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, that, you know, that was really interesting from the perspective of content and it segues beautifully into the next question that I have for you, which is what is the message and tone that we need to be getting across in our codes um, and that needs to be expressed? And is it expected to vary from company to company? Interesting. So, um, so, so message and tone, is, as far as I'm concerned, is like we should no longer be saying like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, mm-hmm. don't do this. Um, because th- 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 that is just, again, not user-friendly. I'm going to think mm-hmm. to myself, oh, as a, again, as a consumer of the, of the compliance program, like this is awful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think a, a, a more inclusive and friendly, or it sounds a little weird, but like a more inclusive tone yes. to say like, we are all in this together. Right. Mm-hmm. This is not uh, the company foisting these mm. these requirements upon you. This is we're all in this together in compliance mm-hmm. and compliance and ethical behavior and corporate integrity is the you know the responsibility of everyone. Mm. Um, so I think that's a huge and I don't think it should vary from company to company or frankly from industry to mm-hmm. industry. Like you hear a lot of like, well, in the financial services industry, we have to do things this way and this way. And when it comes to code of conduct, like I just think that's nonsense, honestly. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just do. <laughs> I think there's a lot of hiding behind, you know. Oh, we're heavily regulated um, in, in certain industries. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I just think trying to have a tone that is um, more conversational um, and speaking to it rather than at your users um, is incredibly important. Yeah, and I'm, I must say, and, and I want to be clear before um, I mention this, uh, Rethink um, is not sponsoring this episode. They've not paid for any kind of promotion from us, um, but I, I did want to point out, you know, um, the the Hyatt Hotels uh, Code of Conduct, I believe, is one that you guys 
created and it is right up there of, of current favorites for me. And it really beautifully and amongst other code best practices, one of the things that's really done well, I think, is the inclusive language. And um, it is a an exemplary um, code for being values-based rather than rules-based, which mm-hmm. is one of the, the points of evolution that, that I've observed um, over the last several years. So um, kudos to you guys for, for creating something that I think is just so effective as a code and really is top shelf for what we all should be striving towards. And if you want an example um, of something that, you know, what Andrea is talking about in terms of inclusive language, um, please do check it out. It's, it's a phenomenal document. And in fact, um, I think you know this, Andrea, but um, it it inspired for me um, part of my communications campaign. Um, So I think it's a a fantastic um, document and you guys did an awesome job creating it. Well, first of all, thank you very much. I totally appreciate that. And then I have to give shout out for the fact I had nothing to do with it. Like individually, I wasn't even at the company at the time. So thank you. I'll pass it along. Um, a, a couple things that I really like about that one, though, is yeah. that um, uh, is the whole concept of like being transparent and trying yeah. to like get, you know, because there's a lot of consternation in the compliance world in general, which frankly comes a lot from HR and employment lawyers and that's mm. a whole different podcast. Um, mm. But um, of, you know, sh- being transparent about like the outcome of things and how things mm. work and all that. And, and I like that code because it has as the, um, you know, hey, if you make a report, here's what's going to happen, right? Mm. This person's going to talk to you, then it's going to, then we'll move down to this part of the process and it gives you like a process chart so that Mm. you know what's coming. I mean, like Mm. how scary is it to actually pick up the phone and like report something? I've done it before and like, Mm -hmm. it's not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like to have like, to provide a little bit of transparency like that code does, I think is really great and kudos to them for for thinking that was important too. Um, And then on the values thing I wanted to mention. um, So interestingly, you mentioned the Black Lives Matter movement and, mm-hmm. you know, um, r- racial justice and stuff, like, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, companies mm. might start to change their corporate values mm. because so many codes are now values-based might mean that codes of conduct are going to have to, you know, at least be refreshed to, to reflect new, you know, new value statements and stuff. So, um, it'll just be interesting just to, to see what happens there because I agree mo- uh, more and more codes are certainly tied into, into corporate values for sure. Yeah, yeah, great points there. And um, and I'll just share off the, the back of your um, examples of the facets that you found really impactful. Uh, the bit that inspired me to, to create a, a communications campaign was specifically on the transparency on pages six and seven. Um, it, it talks about speaking up, essentially, and um, it sets out expectations for uh, the staff as to um, what they will get in return, essentially, what they can be assured of when they speak up. And I think it's so key because there is a misconception oftentimes that, um, you know, if you report something, it will automatically result in an investigation or, and someone, and the person that you hate will get fired, <laughs> or um, there's no point speaking up um, because no one's going to do anything about it, uh, so I won't. Um, or that if you did speak up, um, that you're owed um, the the outcome, right? That the, the company owes you an update as to what happened, um, exactly what any kind of disciplinary action uh, was, and and that's that's not always the case. In fact, I'd mm-hmm. probably say for, for the majority of cases, um, especially in countries where data privacy regimes are pretty robust, uh, it's that's very unlikely. In fact. 
Um, but uh, this for me was really important because it set out things like, you know, instead of um, harping on the, the negative, which is just because you report, it doesn't mean there'll be an investigation. Right. <laughs> it said, you know, you know, for, for what you can expect, you can expect that we will take action. And I thought that was a lovely one um, because, you know, as compliance officers, we will read and review everything you send to us. And so the, the communication that I made expressly said that because that is true and I just felt like we don't we don't let people know that enough so um without plagiarizing rethink's document it was really (laughs) inspirational to me for creating something similar in terms of what are our expectations for for uh, ourselves as investigators in terms of what we owe our colleagues and what can they expect um, when they take that, as you mentioned, quite a bold step in speaking up. So um, if anyone is um, listening and and is thinking about their own um, campaign, I really enjoyed creating that one and would encourage you to to take a look to see what I mean in terms of that transparency, pages six and seven of the Hyatt Hotels Code of Conduct. The other thing is that, like, you know, it's not just what we, the company, expect of you or the employee. You are mm. expected to raise issues. You are expect right. It's you. You should expect some things back too. Right. You should mm-hmm. expect to be treated professionally. Exactly. You should expect yeah. communication. Again, it yeah. may not be the outcome, but you yeah. should expect that we will communicate with all those things. Which, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I think that I think it's a great um, approach in that code for sure. Yeah, and it was a great, if I remember correctly how it was stated, um, was that you can expect to be treated fairly. And that was a wonderful segue into uh, you will not be retaliated against. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, you know, we know that that pretty much always pops up as the number one reason why people do not speak up in benchmarking reports. So you've really got to get at it. Um, and so, yeah, I thought it was uh, fantastic. Thank you. Hmm. Um, so one of my favorite features of a code uh, is in the McDonald's supplier code of conduct where they managed to weave in quotes from management um, management staff discussing integrity throughout the document. And it's extra cool that they made sure to get leaders from you know all regions, not just Team America. Um, what are some of the snazziest features you've seen in codes that some of our listeners might want to consider? So, so um, I like that feature too. But there is a ne- there's a negative is not the right word. There's a, a a a warning with that feature, right? Which is that like if somebody leaves or yeah. God forbid is asked to leave or forced to leave an organization, <laughs> yeah. and I have had that happen before. Like I have had yeah. a client who you know in the code of conduct, there's like an actual photo of actual employees, and that seems great in terms yeah. of like making it feel like it's us or whatever. Yes. And then in the you know anti harassment section, oh that dude ended up getting fired for harassing right. someone. You know, so, yeah. and, and like, how quickly can you update the code, right? If it's right. a static, if it's a static PDF document, that's actually not that easy. Um, yeah. If it's a digital document, it's easier to make a quick update. So, so there are yeah. pros and cons of that approach for sure. Um, though yeah. I like it obviously because it's, yeah. Code at the top and, and, and the like. Um, and in fact, um, we're working with a client right now that um, was really seriously considering a, um, like an employee, this is a digital code product mm. project, excuse me. Um, so like employee um, uh, videos. Um, and same thing, it was a little bit of like, mm, like it's a great idea. It's super um, creative and innovative, mm-hmm. but like be careful, you know? Right. Um, so that, so I just, I throw that out there as, as something to think about. But what, um, what I like about, again, going digital is that you can do so much more with mm-hmm. your code. Like, so, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of codes 
let me rephrase. I think virtually every code <clears throat> at least should have, you know, the message <laughs> from the CEO, right? And it's a letter mm. and it talks about integrity and all that stuff, right? It's mm. the CEO's picture. When you go to digital, you could that can be a video. Right. Um, and some of our clients yeah. have some really innovative, great videos. And then you can mm-hmm. actually provide some teaching moments, like with like, mm. you know, te- videos that teach or whatever. Um, mm. um, you can seek information back from employees. So rather than just pushing information out, like you could include on a, in a digital code, like a little questionnaire, like, how'd you get here? Why are you here? You know? Um, mm-hmm. um, where, so then you're getting like actual data back. That's meaningful to you that you can then improve upon whether it's your code or your overall program or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. I just love the concept of all the things that you can do if you take your code out of um, a static PDF. And again, some PDFs are awesome. That, 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 mm-hmm. um, that Hyatt one is a PDF and it's beautiful. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's fantastic. There, it, it's just it's just a little bit more limiting. Um, so those are the things that I'm like getting that we're getting super excited about for sure. Do you know much about the cost of of sort of making a, a digital one? And the reason I ask is that I very enthusiastically attended a panel session at a conference a couple of years back, and it was about how a company had. Um, turned their code of conduct into an app. And I thought, oh gosh, this sounds incredibly sexy. I I must get on it. Um, And I spoke to a gentleman afterwards who'd been involved in the creation of it. And I said, well, what's the the investment financially? And he said, um, basically the price of a a house in New Zealand. So I fell over (laughs) and and thought, gosh, um, that's, that's that's pretty steep. Yeah. Um, what it, so for, for, for some of the, the, the stuff that, that you're thinking of is, is it sort of in the several hundred thousand dollar range or can I have a house and a code? You could have a house and a code. Um, so I will say that um, there are, and when we were figuring out what our product was going to be, like, you know, we went down, did a lot of product research to, to mm-hmm. figure out what can be we do that's di- truly digital mm-hmm. and not just putting a PDF, you know, online. Um, but that is cost effective um, because mm-hmm. we've heard lots of those um, stories as well, right? And like an mm-hmm. app is super cool. Um, mm-hmm. we, we literally talked to a client once who told us that they went the app route and then they had to, um, they had to basically change corporate policy so that every single person was then issued an iPhone because they only wanted to pay for like the iPhone app and not the not right. the Android app and like whoa what like you did what <laughs> like that can't be what happened can it right so like we were shocked um so and then it's expensive to update apps so like there's there's a lot of really cool things that you do and again back to what I said earlier like everything's a cost benefit analysis like mm. what is your goal and can you get there in a manner where you'll still have some budget to do some other things that um you need to do in your program so mm. um so yeah it's not, it does not have to be a multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars I can I can certainly tell you that. I'll never forget quick anecdote um, not related to code related to training but I was mm-hmm. at a, um, a conference once and um, I, uh, I won't name the company but they did this like super cool scavenger hunt thing where like they had mm. people like going all around like um, I think it was um, the Washington DC and they went to mm-hmm. museums and then they created a training like an online training like based on that oh um, and li- it, it was so expensive. It was like, I mean, it was not reality for anybody else in the room. <laughs> honest to God. Like, because somebody asked the question. And I was like, wow, super cool. Thanks for not helping me. You know, so, yeah. so anyway, so, I mean, it, so it was really cool. But most companies are not going to have that kind of budget. So anyway, it was, uh, yeah. um, you know, it, you can do this in a, in a much more cost-effective manner. 
Okay, super. That's good to hear. And then that um, actually is connected to my my last question for you for this um, episode. I was going to ask you about your thoughts on um, making uh, the codes available on apps. And the reason why this is a tough one for me is that, so for, for example, my, my current company, we have a lot of people um, that are on the manufacturing floor. Mm-hmm. They, they wouldn't necessarily be um, issued with a work phone. Um, so, and I think there are a lot of other companies in this position, maybe not manufacturing, but maybe other roles in the company where you wouldn't typically be issued with um, a, a business device. Um, mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on making codes available to employees as an app on their phones? So I, I think there's a lot of really great things about an app, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, and for example, some companies that have gone that route have made it like open source. And so you can just go to the app store and find, you know, this particular company's compliance app or code app mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and so therefore it doesn't really matter whether or not somebody has a work phone issued to them because mm-hmm. they can get to it because, you know, Mary Shirley and Andrea Falcioni can get to it too. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, so I think, but, but it doesn't have to be an app. Like there are, you know, you, you can create it. I don't know how to do this. Mary, so don't ask me, but you can create a <laughs> tile on your phone that basically just like links to to essentially like a microsite, a website that would right. be your digital code, right? So it doesn't have to, people, people think app, app can be very challenging to deal with and expensive mm. and, and hard to maintain. Um, so you can, you can get the same, essentially the, you know, the same outcome slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think honestly, like being able to access it, regardless of what your role is, being, it, it can't be the only way to access your code, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to access it on on, on a mobile device, um, I think it is incredibly powerful because let's be honest, the vast majority of people, regardless of their role, they may not have a company phone, but they have a phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have a mobile device. Not everybody, mm-hmm. obviously, but the vast majority of people do. So, so I think it is important, but I don't think it has to be an app per se. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Well, that brings us to the end of the prepared questions that I had on codes of conduct. Do you have any final thoughts for us, Andrea? Uh, my only final thought would be that the, the, the other thing to think about as you're working on a code of conduct project is like, what's your launch strategy going to be, right? Mm-hmm. How are you like now you've done like, so as you said, mm-hmm. we get all excited about this. It's the cornerstone mm-hmm. of our programs. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. They can be right. Um, but like sort of then what? And so mm-hmm. I think that's, that's like the, the next logical step for people to be taking, which is that you can't be doing this in a, um, in a vacuum. Um, uh, you have to be thinking about sort of the ongoing, how this thing lives, you know, how, how it gets mm-hmm. out there and how, and how, mm-hmm. Lips. So that was it. Lovely. Well, thank you so much for your time and expertise. It was super interesting and um, I'm sure has got on many minds thinking about uh, their own policies and their own companies. So thank you. And we look forward to speaking with you next time. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review. 